0: Welcome to Work and Play, the podcast of Kinsanji Brooks, Smith & Profit, in which we discuss employment news and provide practical tips that you can use at your company. I'm your host, Susan Bassford wilson We interrupt our regularly scheduled programming today, which would have been part two of the series on the Family and Medical Leave Act, to bring you some time-sensitive information about the coronavirus, COVID-19. Usually my goal in these podcasts is to make employment law topics accessible and understandable. And really to make them as entertaining as possible because, well, employment law can occasionally be boring. However, today I want to talk about the coronavirus, which is not even a little bit funny. I need to start out with a disclaimer. I'm a lawyer. I'm not a doctor or an infectious disease specialist. I cannot and will not hand out medical advice. However, I do know something about employment law. And at Kinsanji, we've been getting a ton of questions about handling the coronavirus appropriately in the workplace. And so that's what I want to talk about today. A short Q&A on some of the common questions that we've heard. So let's start out with a popular question. Can you, as an employer, take an employee's temperature at work? to determine whether they have COVID-19? Well, it depends. By way of background, in its 2009 pandemic preparedness in the workplace and the Americans with Disabilities Act guidance, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission stated that measuring an employee's body temperature is a medical examination. And I'm sure when I say the phrase medical examination, flags are going up in your mind because the Americans with Disabilities Act prohibits employers from making disability-related inquiries and requiring medical examinations unless they are job-related and consistent with business necessity. Now, generally, a disability-related inquiry or a medical examination Is job related and consistent with business necessity when the employer has a reasonable belief, a belief based on objective evidence, that an employee's ability to perform the essential functions of their job will be impaired by a medical condition or the employee will pose a direct threat to the workplace due to a medical condition? Now, the EEOC has also stated that if there is a pandemic, influenza that's more severe than the seasonal flu or than the H1N1 virus that occurred in the spring and summer of 2009, or if pandemic influenza becomes widespread in the community as assessed by state or local health authorities or the CDC, then employers may measure employees' body temperature. And we might get to that point sooner rather than later. However, practically speaking, employers should keep in mind that some people with coronavirus don't have a fever, so this might not be an effective measure anyway. Here's another common question. Would an employee who has coronavirus qualify for leave under the Family and Medical Leave Act? Well, again, it depends, but potentially, yes. Like we talked about in the last episode, Employees are eligible to take FMLA leave if they work for a covered employer, they've worked for that employer for at least 12 months, they have at least 1,250 hours of service over the previous 12 months, and they work or report to a location where there are at least 50 employees in a 75-mile radius. An employee who is sick or whose family members are sick may be entitled to leave under FMLA under certain circumstances. Like those who are incapacitated by a serious health condition, as certainly could be the case with coronavirus where complications arise, or who are needed to care for covered family members who are incapacitated by a serious health condition. Now, of course, the FMLA entitles eligible employees to take up to 12 weeks of unpaid job protected leave within a designated 12 month period. However, What about leave taken by an employee for the purpose of avoiding exposure to an illness? Is that protected by the FMLA? Well, no, it's not. And if it's not properly FMLA leave, let's not muddy the waters and just call it FMLA leave because that could actually create other issues later on. However, if an employee is not eligible for FMLA, Employers should still encourage employees who are ill or who are exposed to ill family members to stay home. Certainly, this is a great opportunity to consider whether you have flexible leave policies that could be applied in these circumstances. Finally, keep in mind that there are state-specific family and paid medical leave laws that could certainly come into play with coronavirus. Colorado just issued a uh, rule Related specifically to those who are displaying coronavirus symptoms and undergoing testing for it. That requires four days of paid leave. So pay attention to what your state and local governmental bodies are doing as well. Here's another question What if your company requires employees to work from home and bars employees from working at your typical place of business? Do employers have to pay those employees? who are unable to work from home? Well, under the Fair Labor Standards Act, employers generally only have to pay employees for the hours that they actually work, whether those hours are worked at home or at Starbucks or at the employer's office. However, employers must pay at least minimum wage for all hours worked, at least time and a half um, for all hours worked in excess of 40 in a work week. However, that's... That's the rule for non-exempt employees. Exempt salaried employees generally must receive their full salary for any week in which they perform any work, subject to certain fairly limited exceptions. So, put another way, in order to be relieved of the obligation to pay the full weekly salary, the employee cannot perform any work, remote or otherwise, within the seven-day work week designated by the employer which may or may not coincide with the calendar week. The Department of Labor actually just issued guidance related to the coronavirus, um, describing both the FMLA implications and the FILSA implications. And in places where not all employees can work from home, employers can also consider that there could be other options to promote social distancing distancing, excuse me, such as staggered work shifts. Of course, this could implicate collective bargaining agreements for unionized employers. So pay attention to your CBA if you have a union workforce. Finally, I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't briefly mention data security in connection with the coronavirus. If you're requiring or allowing all or certain employees to work from home in order to deal with an outbreak, or to follow recommendations for social distancing, I suggest you think about what equipment your employees are using and whether all of your employees have appropriate security provisions in place. Let's not add a data breach on top of what is already a horrible situation. I could keep going, but if you have more questions about the impact of the coronavirus at your company, I encourage you to reach out to your favorite employment lawyer or to check out Kinsanji's coronavirus resource page at kinsanji.com backslash coronavirus. Many of my talented colleagues have put in a lot of time to describe and analyze various employment-related aspects of this pandemic. For example, we have a bulletin about the Department of Labor's recent guidance on FMLA and the Fair Labor Standards Act. We published an immigration report summarizing the coronavirus-related travel bans issued by President Trump since January of 2020. We have another bulletin providing an overview of OSHA's recent guidance on handling the coronavirus. We posted a coronavirus webinar that we did earlier this month, and we've also gathered numerous helpful links to the guidance issued by governmental agencies like the Centers for Disease Control, and the World Health Organization, who have issued guidance for travelers, for businesses, for individuals, for families. There's a lot of of good resources out there. And finally, our resource page has a helpful Q&A section regarding some of the most frequent questions that we have heard from our clients, such as the ones I covered today. I am very confident that you will find Kinsanji's Resource Center to be more helpful than your social media feed, which, if you're like me, has been flooded with absolutely contradictory information about the coronavirus travel bans and shortages on disinfectants and toilet paper. If you have questions about how to best handle these questions in your workplace, please let us know. We want to help. In closing, be safe. Pay attention to information from credible sources. Cover your mouth with a tissue when you cough or cough into your sleeve. Stay home if you are sick. Wash your hands often. Ensure your workplace is regularly cleaned and disinfected appropriately. And be kind to each other. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope you tune in again next week when we'll resume our regularly scheduled programming on part two of our mini-series, regarding the good, the bad, and the ugly of the FMLA.